Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research and broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Cornerstone Financial Consultants are not affiliated. Welcome to the Journey Mindset Podcast. My name is Sean Ulrich, and I'm a financial advisor at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri. And I am joined today, as always, by my co-host, Ron Shear. And Ron is a former financial advisor with a wealth of knowledge on all things investing. So we are lucky to have him. And Ron, we're talking manufacturing right. today. So I got to ask, we were talking about this pre-show, what was your favorite toy as a kid? Oh, simple. It was called a Mattel Fanner 50. It was uh, <laughs> it was a chrome-plated pistol with ivory handles. And, uh, of course, you know, <laughs> there are no manufa- American manufacturers of toys anymore. Everything is made over in, in China. And mm. uh, uh, But, yeah, Mattel was a great toy company back in the day. I don't know if they were in existence. In fact, I think they're still around maybe a little bit, but everything's imported. But, yeah, the old Mattel mm. Fanner 50. I mean... Leather holster, the whole deal. <laughs> that sounds a heck of a lot cooler than what yeah, I was going to well, say. Well, you know, I had a stick horse. His name was Flame, and it, uh, mm. <laughs> I Man. still have it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yes, I do. I still have it. That's awesome. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is my brother and I used to build freaking Lego cities. We would have tables <laughs> down in the basement, and we'd put all these things together. Yeah. And I don't want to embarrass myself too much more, so I'm just going to roll into the show. Um, our topic for today, Ron, is going to be talking about what I would consider to be the heart and soul of a lot of the small towns in America. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it applies to those people that grew up in small towns or small towns that you drive through that, that are thriving based off of this sector. Communities rally around it, and it's, you know, it's played a huge role in the development of the America that we know today. And that's a manufacturing sector. Right. And as you can imagine, Ron, this is an area of the economy that has come under fire with the advancements in technology. But I can tell you, as I was looking back through videos and articles that I was reading, I was watching videos from like, I don't know, the 70s or the 80s, mm-hmm. where they were like, technology's going to take all our jobs. And, you know, here we are today. It has had a big impact, but it seems to have been a pretty long concern, you know, that people have had. Right. So. Ron, you've lived here in Washington, Missouri for, from what I understand, most of your life, if not all of your life. So what comes to your mind when you think of manufacturing in and around the area of Washington, Missouri? Well, we have been somewhat blessed here to have uh, maintained a fairly good manufacturing uh, uh, base here in the Washington area. But I got to tell you, I think it's probably, this is probably the exception and mm. not the rule. And I read a book years ago by Gary Nesbitt. It was called Megatrends. And what Gary, what Nesbitt had to say was that uh, we, at some point in time, would become more of a service economy. And guess yeah. what? He wrote the book. It's been probably forty years ago, maybe even a little longer. It took it took longer than I think he than his pro, pro, his his guess or his prognostication, I guess. Uh, but we're here. I yeah. mean, it, it has come. We have very yeah. little manufacturing left. Mm. 
in this country, and uh, we've uh, we vacated that and given it to the to the uh, to the Chinese, the biggest part of it. Uh, you know, back in the Nixon era, when we they became actually our favorite trading partner, mm. and uh, what that meant was, uh, and, I, and I'm being a little bit negative and a little sarcastic. What that really meant was, is we're going to shut our factories down and we're going to open them up in China. And that's exactly what happens. And, uh, you know, I'd tell the listeners, if you don't like that, uh, don't like my response to it, uh, that's tough because that's exactly where we are. Mm. And I know that an interesting statistic, I was just trying to learn more about the Washington area because, you know, I've been new to it here these past couple of years would be that, you know, according to statistics in the Washington economy, that the manufacturing mm-hmm. sector comprises 11.2% of total jobs. <clears throat> and that's according to datausa.io. Mm-hmm. So this applies directly to the surrounding area that we're in right, right now. Right. And even though, you know, I looked up the distinction between manufacturing and production occupations mm-hmm. because it's a, the statistic pertained to production occupations, the difference between the two of them was that uh, manufacturing ends with a finished production and production includes non-tangible items in the conversion process, whereas production is a broader term that encompasses both tangible and non-tangible items. Sure. So I had to make that clarification in my mind. And to go on a little bit farther with the background of this industry, Ron, I watched a cool video called Rethinking Manufacturing, which shows how some people that grow up in small towns, they choose to go into the sector because it's their if they want, if they if they are trying to go somewhere else, it's their ticket out of town. Right. You know, it's their wits, their education, it's what they're studying, such as engineering. So another good reason to understand the manufacturing process is that it can show you how efficient the underlying business is. And we're going to talk about the metrics that investors need to pay attention to when it comes to manufacturing later in this show. So we were talking about this pre-show too, Ron. I mean, it's it's something that's definitely prevalent, but I was learning a ton as I was doing my research. And according to the National Association of Manufacturers, manufacturers account for 11.39% of the total output in the United States, employing about 8.5% of our workforce. So let's learn a little bit more about the five different environments that manufacturing can be done in. And if you have any takes on these, Ron, hop in at any time. I will. Uh, the first one is just repetitive. This is the the, the factory that you walk into, and it's uh, you know it's production lines that are mm-hmm. doing the same thing twenty four seven all year round speeding. Right. And, and and the way that you improve efficiency with these types of factories is by speeding up the operations. And, you know, there's little setup or changeover. And if you want to improve production, you add another line, put another line in there. And, and Ron, so do you have any examples, uh, you know, in your memory of manufacturing facilities that you've walked into that's just one smooth machine running over and over on its own? I had an opportunity uh, when I was in the radio business to visit the Chrysler assembly plant. One of the local Chrysler dealers, uh, they had a, a new car showing at the assembly plant in Fenton, and I had an opportunity to to go through that plant. And at that point in time, they were building the minivan, and also there was another uh, another line building the trucks, and my goodness, um, that is a very, very, very efficient operation. I mean, if uh, if a blue van calls for blue light blue seats, guess what shows up when the van's running down the line, and it's just perfect <laughs> timing. It's it's very efficient, hmm. and it's uh, it's actually what I would call poetry in motion. It truly is. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is. It's a wonderful thing to mm. see. It's really cool. And, and the second type of manufacturing environments we're going to talk about is discrete. 
and, and this is when you have individual finished products that can be counted, touched, or seen. Uh, th- this type of manufacturing can be furniture, toys, smartphones, mm-hmm. or airplanes. And it made me think of Boeing right here in St. Louis. I know I have a family member that works for Boeing. And Ron, man, can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of that assembly process for airplanes and how meticulous that process would have to be? And this is kind of putting you on the spot again, but have you been out to Boeing? Have you been able to see any of their of their production stuff? I have not, but I, I had, a, had an older brother mm. who uh, worked at uh, McDonnell Douglas in a day and then... Uh, and finished his uh, career in the airline or aircraft business, and uh, he uh, he <laughs> he would talk at nauseum about <laughs> about what it took to build an airplane, and <laughs> and it's uh, what it really amounts to, and it's it's an exhaustive thing. I mean, there's just so many so many things that have to fit, the tolerances and everything have to be just perfect. But you know what? They can do that, and they do that. Uh, it's repetitive, just like we talked about in the process, the first process. You, you do it long enough, you get, you get good at it, and they know just exactly how the process works and how it has to flow so it all fits together, and it works perfectly. And Did, a very, very successful company, Boeing is, and, and other manufacturers as well. The third type of a production environment or the manufacturing environment is job shop, and this is where that they rarely have production lines. You know, but the area, it may differ based off the type of product that they're creating. They may have one version of the product, a couple of different versions, or, you know, 30 or 40 different versions. And as demand for these products grow, the business looks towards automation to try to streamline the process. And then the last two actually have to do with process. One is a continuous process. One is batch. One is similar to what we talked about initially, where you got something that's running batch is where they have a, a batch of something that they're doing mm-hmm. uh, or they can continue to well, well the cool thing about batch is that when you do the initial you know set you can inspect it and make sure it's what you want before you get to the next one uh, and when you know obviously some of this is done systematically so i know we've talked about this on previous shows how you like tangible products ron oh, so i do <clears throat> i gotta be able to feel it and touch it for sure. So how do you think that investors should think about manufacturing as an investment sector or as an investment industry, given the rise of automation, but still the sustained need to have humans, you know, running the show? Well, I, I think that uh, I think that's one area where the, the technology and the computerization of manufacturing has really has really helped. It's made yep. uh, it's made manufacturing very efficient. And let's face the facts. Uh, when you want to ring out the total price of whatever it is you're producing, efficiency is what you have to look for. Yep. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can, but most of the time it's done with labor, yeah. because labor is uh, is always a it's, a it's a constant. And technology, in some ways, whether it's it's a cruel statement, but it's certainly an accurate statement. Uh, technology can ultimately take away a human being, the yep. need for a human being doing that job. So, uh, but it all kind of it all kind of kind of blends together. And in the perfect world, we use technology to enhance the production so that we can become more competitive. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, it uh, you have to be competitive with your product. But the, the, we get to a point, and I think we may be that way in this country. We've eliminated enough jobs, and we made the price competitive enough. But by doing so, we've eliminated enough jobs that very few people can afford to buy what they're actually producing. Yeah, and it just makes us makes me think back to that skill set podcast that we had too. It's like, man, even if you're in an industry or a, you know a sector like that, you need to make sure you're great at your job. You need to make sure you have an additional skill set just in case. You, you have know, to be just flexible. To be ready. You have to be ready to change. 
So let's take a look at the top 10 manufacturing sectors to get a better idea of what kinds of products the manufacturing sector can put out. And if you're an investor listening to this show, I mean, these are areas we're trying to provide, you know, areas for you to be able to look into, areas to be able to make sure heading into 2021 or whatever year you're listening to this podcast that you can see as an investable industry. And so the top 10 manufacturing sectors start off with chemical products, which talks, you know, detergents, batteries, fertilizers. Got to be honest right here, Ron. I didn't have any interesting takes to talk about chemicals and fertilizers <laughs> and batteries. So Not a chemical person. <laughs> I'm going to roll right into number two, which was computer and electronic products, which has to do with phones, computers, and digital watches. And obviously, this is a huge part of our current economy. And when you look at a lot of the investable companies in the manufacturing sector, the ones that get people the most excited you know, kind of tend to be in this computer electronic product yeah, area. Uh, and I know that every time that I get a new iPhone, it's only a matter of time before they're going to build a new iPhone with a different charging cord and a different accessory, you know, but hey, I get it time and time again, and you got to be able to keep that business running. But that all starts, you know, with you've got to come up with the newest, latest and greatest hardware for people to be interested in. The third one was food and beverage and tobacco products. And, and this is something that I want to mention, Ron. One of my favorite uh, sectors, you know, to witness the manufacturing product is uh, uh, Fitz's Root Beer Bottling Company oh, right yeah, here in sure. St. Louis. Yeah, I don't right know if you've the, ever eaten there. Del Mar, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. where I was able to walk in there as a kid, and I was like kind of similar to yourself with the cars. I was watching all the bottles go through the sure. process. I was like, man, this is like, you know, this is my favorite place ever. I love root beer. You know, so these restaurants, they have the actual manufacturing of the soda right there, you know, and it's mm -hmm. right there in front of them. And we have to mention, Ron, we're in St. Louis, Missouri, or close to St. Louis, Missouri. We also have the Anheuser-Busch plant right here in downtown St. Louis, right. which is always a fun activity if you get the chance to check it out. So I got to ask, Ron, have you been on that tour in downtown St. Louis to check out the uh, AB facility? Oh, I have. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I have to tell you, we've done that a multiple of times. We... Mm -hmm. uh, we just never really get tired of that, but about every two years we'll take that uh, yeah. take that brewery tour, and mm. and I think it's it's changed a little bit over the years. But I have to say that when Imbev bought uh, bought Anheuser Busch out, we were all concerned that, uh, that so to begin with that the flagship brewery down downtown St. Louis uh, was going to go away on Pestalozzi. It was going to vanish, and it would move it away. Yeah. But, you know, InBev has done a great job in keeping that and uh, keeping St. Louis really as the premier uh, spot for Anheuser-Busch products. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I think it, it's good business, and I think I think they realize that. I think so, too. And, shoot, I got a lot of good friends whose parents, you know, have been at AB for mm -hmm. quite a long time. Right. It's provided jobs. It's It's been an attraction to the yeah. city. So I think this manufacturing sector that we're talking about today, you know, it can have a huge impact, even on bigger cities. And now we started off talking about small towns, but yeah. it's one of those things that when I, even when I went down to Louisiana— and I was of age, you know, mm -hmm. I'd look at the adult beverages and I'd say, oh, producing St. Louis, well, you're sure. welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So the fourth sector we're going to look at is, is cars, motor vehicles and parts. I know this is right up your alley, Ron. Mm -hmm. I was intrigued to hear that uh, Volkswagen was near the top of manufacturing when it comes to the auto industry. Does that surprise you at all? No, it doesn't. Not necessarily? It doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a lot of... Uh, uh, they have a lot of different models. Mm. Uh, Volkswagen is a is a very uh, very de very well designed, very well manufactured automobile. Yeah. Uh, I have a brother and brother in law and sister in law that uh, wouldn't drive anything else. Mm. Um, 
we I love them. Yeah, I was intrigued. I don't know. I just I haven't seen as much around this area mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. But I mean, I know it, it differs. We're uh, we're kind of. I, I feel like sometimes in the United States or even with where I am in my state, I'm like kind of in my own bubble. You know, I need to I'm I need sure. to get out. I need to know what else is going on in the world. So that's why I like doing shows like this. But. You know, I, I also know that when you talk about the manufacturing of cars, that's a big part of their advertising that they do. When you look at the assembly, I mean, shoot, a lot of them, they appeal towards, you know, the hardworking side, the blue collar mm-hmm. side. This is how we're, we make the most sustainable, the safest vehicles. So I think manufacturing has its, its uh, reach into a lot of different sectors when you talk about investable industries. And I always thought it'd be really enjoyable to see the progression, you know, of cars being made. And as you mentioned earlier, I know you had to have enjoyed being able to go through and see how that car was put together. It's the most fascinating <clears throat> thing. You just can't imagine how well orchestrated all of that is. Now, that's not to say that things don't happen on the line. You know, yep. once in a while, you yep. probably get a, <laughs> you know, get a car with the wrong color carpet or the car, wrong color uh, seats. But it, it just doesn't it just doesn't happen. It's so well orchestrated. And I also thought of the phrase, somebody always told me this about working hard. They were like, yeah, you know, it takes a day to make a Honda, but it takes six months to make a Rolls Royce. So I was like, man, I need to look that up and see if that's actually legit. And I looked it up, and sure enough, according to uh, Austin or RollsRoyceAustinTexas.com, it does take six months to put yeah. together a Rolls Royce. Yeah. And uh, I just thought it was kind of a, a goofy thing to be able to add in as part of the sure. manufacturing process. Number five as we're talking about fabricated metal products. So this is a blanket term for many metalworking processes, including, you know, tools, kitchenware, boilers, tanks, containers, hardware, springs, wires, valves, and pipe manufacturing. And so I got to imagine, Ron, you know, as uh, being, I have to imagine this is a huge part of the home building process. So what we actually saw during this coronavirus vaccine was that there was a ton of people that wanted to do home improvement. They wanted to go out and, you know, get into new homes. So when I think about this manufacturing sector, I was actually meeting with a home builder yesterday that was just talking about how, you know, the cost of materials Mm -hmm. has dang near doubled, you know, during this process. Lumber and building materials are incredibly high right at this point. And uh, it just made me think of, you know, during this manufacturing process, I mean, what a what an industry to pay attention to. I mean, right. shoot, you can take advantage of some of those swings. I mean, the, the downs and the ups, I think that it's something that as investors, we do need to have our pulse on going forward. And let's kind of quickly run through these last couple uh, just for the sake of time. Six, seven, eight, and nine, and 10. Six is machinery. Seven is aerospace. And we already talked a little bit about Boeing. Eight is petroleum and coal products. Nine, they just had a miscellaneous manufacturing category. And the last one was plastics and rubber products. Mm -hmm. So now that we've run through the top 10 in the manufacturing sectors, Ron, my question for you is, man, if if you would have had the ability to have been involved or worked in one of these manufacturing sectors, which one would you have chose and why? Um, Tough question. Well, that's a very tough question. You know that I'm a, I'm a car lover. I I like cars and I, I, I have an interest in automobiles, but I, I have to say, too, that I never pictured myself on a factory floor working inside a building. Yeah. I, I've always been the type that my preference would be to work outside. Well, I, yeah. I uh, did some construction to work my way through school, through college, and I enjoyed that. Uh, it's a tough physical job. Uh, but by golly, I, I think what I'd have to do is I'd probably get into the investment business, if, mm. <laughs> which is, which is, I spent a number of years in the media, you know, at the, at the local paper and, and then, uh, with the, the local radio station. And, 
And uh, but still, the financial services that was a good fit for me. I don't yeah. think I'm answering your question. Nah, that's and you probably right. figured out I'm probably not going to. You're gonna dodge it. Hey, that's <laughs> totally fine. That's totally fine. I think I'd be intrigued to to be in the. Uh, manufacturing is some of this just latest and greatest technology, yeah, you know, whether be, it's that the could phones be or anything like that. But it would it would be a tough life. It would definitely be a tough life for sure. So according to businessweek.com in an article titled Follow the Money, Who's Investing in Manufacturing? It has a couple of good points that it points out about manufacturing. And the first is that, that there's an increased interest in U.S. manufacturing, especially any business related to energy as of recent. And I will say that this is an area that we've been tracking here at Cornerstone and we continue to keep an eye on in 2021 because it does appear to play a big part of this new president's agenda. And it's also just good to pay attention to what's going to be good for our environment going forward, renewable energies. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that manufacturing overseas is actually becoming increasingly expensive. This article states that in low-cost Asian countries, that there's a 15 to 20% wage hike every year. It's becoming more and more expensive, so we may not have this low-cost option for such a long period of time, so it's good to look domestically. Yeah, it's good you to know, look those here. folks have enjoyed a little bit of the good life, and they mm -hmm. want to maintain what they have, and, and yeah. they're they no different than, they, you know, people are pretty much people anywhere. They, mm -hmm. uh, they want the best for themselves, and they want the best for their families, and that's, uh, that's what they're going to work for. And now that they've uh, Chinese people is an example, they uh, they've had a, a little bit of a taste and they're, they're going to want some more of that. And that's uh, going to, of course, drive up uh, uh, labor costs. Now, I don't know that we'll ever in my lifetime, I don't think we'll ever see uh, uh, labor unions get a, a, a toehold in a mm. country like China because uh, Chinese Communist Party just won't allow that. I mean, mm. they uh, they have a tendency to to. Uh, deal very harshly with dissident people and mm. uh, so but anyway uh bottom line is is that uh, the cost of labor even in the in the uh in those markets will will continue to rise definitely and the third point that the article makes is that another advantage in the productivity uh, or another advantage is the productivity of u.s manufacturing and it, it was quoted saying you can do you can do more here in the u.s in terms of people and equipment and according to manufacturing talk radio an, Amer an American manufacturing worker has 10 to 12 times the output of a Chinese worker on average. That's a statistic that they mm -hmm. gave us. Yeah. And another interesting note is that after the coronavirus, the increased appeal to manufacture here in the United States has a possibility to save on supply costs. There's a shorter supply chain with fewer transportation costs when products are made here in the U.S. along with obviously less supply chain risk thanks to closer proximity to customers and suppliers. Sure. So, Ron, do you have any other thoughts on those three points that I just made? Well, those are all good points. And the other thing that could factor into it, and that uh, depends on what the, we t you touched earlier on the, uh, how the dollar and the value of the dollar can fluctuate. And, mm. and uh, as we have currency uh, differences, I mean, you know, the yen against the dollar, uh, sometimes those conversion rates are different and they can affect the overall cost of an item. And that uh, is something that has to be factored into it as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So to further broaden our thinking on it, it's been said before that if you can see something or you can touch or you can feel it, it's probably passed through a factory of some sort. So what, we, what we're starting to see become a huge focus in the manufacturing sector going forward, and it's actually what you brought up earlier in the show, trying to become more efficient, is that there's actually been a huge push towards something called smart factories. And in an article titled, The 10 Most Valuable Metrics in Smart Manufacturing, 
detail just how manufacturing is progressing along today. And what the article states and talks about is that 43% of manufacturers have smart factory projects underway in 2017, and that actually grew to just under 70% in 2018. And the challenge has been, as they implement this new technology into the factories, it's really been not as effective as they would have hoped. I think it's only been 14% of those smart factories are succeeding on the terms that they deem to be successful. So they're working to be more accurate, to have enhanced clarity and precision. And furthermore, the article talks about that what's actually happening in these, in these factories that, that, is that they're, and this is the quote, flat screen monitors are being mounted above production floors to reflect current production rates, load rates by machine and percent machinery utilization, yield rates, and in some plants, percent plant utilization. And the reason that they're doing this is that, number one, it creates and reinforces ownership of the outcomes in the factory. Two, it increases collaboration efficiency, how well people are working together. And that three, measuring end-to-end production processes. Where does it start? Where does it end? How long does it take? How much does it cost? And to conclude, the article states that the true power of metrics in smart factories is providing everyone with visibility to how their contributions to planning, producing, and selling, and servicing products matter. And analytics is a cornerstone that keeps smart factories focused on customers and their changing needs. So, Ron, man, what do you think about these smart factories being developed? Well, I think it's an excellent approach to all of it. I mean, mm. what we're really doing is, uh, is my take on this is, is this. And a lot of this comes in, uh, in our work the last 20 or 30 years, particularly in the automobile industry, working with the Japanese. The Japanese got very early in the going that it wasn't us against them. And when I say that, it wasn't labor against management. Those two mm. sides, and they, they took away those sides. They took down those fences and they became one team. And I think that's really what we're talking about with Smart Factory. So the guy on the floor who's doing his little part of the job, he gets to see just exactly how and where what he's doing fits into the overall process. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a teamwork building approach, and that always wins. That always wins in any type of, uh, uh, any type of operation. I think that that's, uh, you know, Smart Factories has a great deal more to it than just that. But still. Yeah, oh, yeah. They, shoot, that article that I mentioned uh, there before, it was like a, gosh, it was like a six or seven-page article. Sure. But I was like, man, if I went through this whole thing, it would it'd be a lot. And to further your point, too, when I was learning more about manufacturing, uh, the man that started Toyota, there was it was a Japanese word that I'm not going to remember the name for, but it, it essentially concluded with continual improvement. I mean, he always sought after continual right. improvement within his factories. And when you have a smart factory like this, to your to your point, there's way more that goes into it. Uh, but that's at least the beginning of what we were talking about. So to wrap up our show today, I thought we could talk about two financial metrics that people can pay attention to when it comes to looking at these manufacturing companies as possible investments. And number one, I mean, shoot, it can be the same for any company, and that's going to be revenues and earnings. Right. That's what drives Mm. all of it. A hundred percent. And revenue is what you just a reminder. Revenue is what the company makes. Earnings is what the company keeps. And this is a tricky one because some companies choose to not be profitable. But it's always a good idea as an investor to track the revenue of a company over a long period of time because right. it gives you an idea of how consistently that, co- that company is growing. And this can really be said for, like we said, any company in any sector. 
But the second one to also pay attention to is net profit margin. And this illustrates how much of each dollar collected by a company translates into profit. So for example, if a company has a net profit margin of 30%, mm-hmm. they're keeping 30 cents for every dollar that they make. Right. And when you track this metric over a long period of time, you can see how efficient that manufacturing company has been you know, with the money that they're collecting. It's right. a good indicator of a healthy business for sure. And so, Ron, do you have any final thoughts on manufacturing before we wrap up our show today? Well, I I just think that, uh, and one of the things that I'm hopeful to see is that uh, um, I don't think it's a misstatement to say that we've uh, we've, uh, kind of fallen out of bed with the Chinese as far Mm -hmm. as manufacturing is concerned. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the years ahead. But I think we've received some very clear information that we need to bring some manufacturing back here, particularly in the area of pharmaceuticals and, uh, and a good many other things. I mean, there's, uh, there's uh, I'll give the Chinese their credit. They've done some things incredibly well. Uh, but I think we, we can do things uh, every bit uh, as well. In fact, I think we've given them, uh, given the Chinese a lot of uh, our technology. And, and I think in some cases, and uh, I think they've stolen a lot of technology from us. But I think Bottom line is, is we need to get back to building some things and manufacturing some things in our own country. And I think it's good for the American people. And I think it's good for our overall economy. And I think most importantly, it's good for our overall security as far as uh, the leadership uh, that we we share or that that we have in this in this nation or this world, rather, as uh, you know, we're we're the world's uh, leader and great things are expected uh, from us because of that, and I think one of the things we need to do is get back into the manufacturing sector and uh, get back, uh, getting back to building things that uh, that we can be proud of and that people can uh, uh, people can be proud and uh, to work and raise families and uh, and and live. There's certainly nothing wrong with the American dream. Now, I know there are people out there who will tell you that mm. they think that's absolutely a horrible thing that Americans should uh, that we should dream to be the best, and I don't think it's. Uh, I think that's the way God built us, is to always strive to be better and do better. That was incredibly well said. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you let us finish up with that. So the reason for the podcast and the real heart behind all of our messages lies in the gospel. We believe that God sent his only son, Jesus, to this world with a message of good news. And the good news is that we as humans do not need to earn our way into heaven. Instead, we need to repent of the current way that we live, living for ourselves in our own personal glory, and instead choose to invite Jesus into our lives to follow his word, what we believe to be truth. Ultimately, we believe Jesus, after living a perfect life here on earth, was put to death for no other reason other than saying he was the son of God, thus being put to death for our sins, which he knew was going to happen. Again, the good news of the gospel is something we did nothing to earn. It was a free gift from God. We know that after Jesus died, we believe he rose again three days later, appearing to those on earth who had deserted him before his death, ultimately ascending back into heaven. And after Jesus ascended back into heaven, we receive what Jesus called the Holy Spirit to guide our lives in decision-making. And we now have the, the freedom to live for God, bringing glory to God as a response to the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. And we wholeheartedly believe that we were all created to do good works, rooted in truth, what we know to be God's word, driven by love. With this newfound freedom, as a response, 
to this good news. So as always, be sure to connect with us at thejourneymindset.com or to visit our company page, cornerstone2invest.com and reach out to us at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri at 636-239-5000 if you would like to connect and learn more about what it would look like to invest with us here at Cornerstone Financial. Our goal is to always get to know your particular situation and to see how we can help. Big thank you for tuning in today. We love being on 99.9 KFAV.